0: What did you want to be when you grew up? When I What I really wanted to be when I grew up was I wanted to play for Leeds United. That's, oh, what I really, that's what I really wanted to do. And actually, you know, obviously it didn't happen, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. And and probably still don't. Um, <laughs> it, it's an odd one. You know, what are you going to do when you grow up?
1: Well, I'll think about it. You know, I'm in my 50s now and I'm still thinking about it. Yeah. Did you have anyone sort of around you who were in business for themselves?
0: No, it's interesting, actually. I've, I've thought about this a, a while. Um, you know, Both of my parents were in education. I had, I believe my late grandfather was in retail, but I had no, nothing, you know, my other grandfather was in, he sold insurance. So there was nothing, nothing as a role model for me as, uh, to get into business. Um, mm. It wasn't even something I proactively thought about, it it was a lot of my career I just rolled with and Mm. things
1: happened. Leeds, 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 what is happening? Welcome to episode 22 of Working Hours, a show about a place called Leeds, a time called now and an activity called work. My name is Simon and you're listening to my guest Phil Fraser. This is another Zoom interview recorded on the 4th of August 2021. Do you want to be a better business owner? Do you want to take your business to the next level? Then you need yourself a business sounding board. You need Phil Fraser. Phil Fraser successfully founded, ran and subsequently sold a multi-award winning online gambling affiliate business in a multi-million pound sale to a PLC. He's been there, done that and got the t-shirt. He now offers his knowledge and expertise to SME business owners who want to grow and develop their business to that next level. I predict that this is going to be my most listened to show so far. Phil is very good at podcasts. There's a lot of information to take in on this one too. I hope you enjoy it. And then if you do enjoy it, go and listen to some of the other episodes too. They're good. If you're a loiner and you're listening to this and you think you might be able to answer some questions that you already know all the answers to, then please get in touch with me to arrange time for us to record you for this show. Email me at workinghourspod at western-studios.com with a short bio and some suggestions of your availability. Also, drop me a line if you have any queries or feedback, compliments or complaints. If you can be generous and wonderful enough to leave me a review, then please do so. I still haven't had any feedback, so it would be really good to see any. If you can leave a really good review for me, please do. That would be really good. What is it that you're doing now then? Okay, so now
0: I am working as, I'm offering my services as what I call a business sounding board. So I work with uh, small business, well, small and medium-sized business owners to be their sort of spare pair of eyes and spare pair of ears. Um, You know, the old cliche, it's lonely at the top. And, you know, when you're running a business, you're expected to have all of the answers. Particularly if you've got a team, you know, the team comes, you you go, you know, we've got this problem, Phil, what, what do we do next? Or, you know, what's the business strategy for next year? And, you know, some of the time you, you do think, shit, I don't know, why are you asking me? <laughs> <laughs> so actually having somebody else there at your side to bounce things off, to listen to the problems, to to take a look from a different angle, mm. um, really, really adds value to business. And, and I found this during my business journey, mm. um, that at, and, and sort of reanalyzing it, looking backwards, the four key stages of our business where, external advice you know really helped and really made a, a step change difference so so mm. I don't call myself a business coach because I think that's a bit cheesy and that market is to a degree full of charlatans it's sort of my, so my role is sort of half coach half mentor half just somebody to scream at and, and also in, in business there are certain there are certain points that you can't discuss with your team you know mm. if you yeah, the classic being selling the business. You can't discuss that with your team. You need somebody else to talk to about it, or it might be, you know, it might be something like, might be something positive, like we're going to buy the competitor. Um, now, if you tell your sales manager we're going to buy the competitor, the first thing he thinks is, oh shit, he's going to keep, he's going to keep their sales manager, and I'm and I'm out of a job, which may may or may not be the case. So there's lots, and lots of things you can't discuss with somebody in the team, and and and
1: that's pretty much what I offer. So in a way are you kind of like a board for small companies like a non-exec board that's you know you've got this this industry where you've got this business knowledge that you can bring to bear from an outside perspective of like you know I can be objective about this I can look at the business in business terms and go you need to be doing this you need to focus on that I'd like to see more in this area is that is that reasonable or are you more it's, specialized? It, or it's different?
0: part, it's part of that. It's part of that. What I what I try and offer is I, I'm working with the business owner mm-hmm. for the business owner to make better business decisions. Mm-hmm. So I'm not necessarily going in to look at the business, I'm sitting with the business owner. So so you mentioned sort of non-exec director and, and board. I have used the phrase personal non-exec director. So I'm non-execing mm. the business owner rather than the business. Yeah. Um, and and it's not for me to tell the business what to do. It's it's often the business owner will talk to me and say, I'm thinking of doing, you know, either X or Y or Z or, or I'm not sure which of the three to do. Now I won't say you, you want to do X or Y. I will say, okay, let's let's talk about X, let's talk about Y, let's talk about Z. And eventually the business owner will go, Yeah, I'm going to go Y. But I've not told them to do that. They've, they've worked it out themselves by me prodding and poking and, and asking the right questions. So yeah. I'm not giving answers. I'm just giving questions.
1: Yeah. And as well, it's, it's also useful to have, for want of a better term, like a boss or a line manager or someone there to keep you to deadlines, keep you to things that you said you were going to do and, and say, what's happening with this? You know, that big idea that you had, why, why haven't you done anything on that? It's like, oh, what I've been concerned with this. Was that, yeah, but that's what you wanted to do. Why aren't you doing it? Uh, so, yeah, that, that's a useful function to have. Where would you normally come in to a business? I mean, do you come in right at the beginning or is it with businesses that are slightly established? Or
0: um, Just going back on your point there, having an accountability partner is, is absolutely essential. And that is one of the roles I play. You know, one of the beauties of running your own business is you can make the decisions. You go, yeah. I think we should do this, and you go off and do this. Or I think we should do that and go off and do that. What you haven't got is, is absolutely, as you said, somebody going, well, you said you were going to do this. Have you done it? Now, as, mm-hmm. as the boss of your own business, you've got nobody telling you, you've got nobody mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is a very, very important part of, of my role, is, look, you know, we discussed A, B and C. You said you are going to do them by the end of the month. Have you done them? Mm-hmm. Now, if you haven't got somebody doing that, and, you know, we're all, human nature says, well, I'm not going to do that because that's, that's really difficult and it's really mm. hard, or I don't want to do it. Mm. Um, so I'll, I'll push, you know, it's like, I, it's sort of broccoli on the plate. Yeah. You haven't got somebody there going, eat your veg. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that sort of role, but you're absolutely right. In terms of who I work with, um, it tends to be um, the... I. I looked at this initially when I was sort of determining who my audience was and lots of people talk about, oh, you've got to have a customer avatar and all that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, and I think my offering is is for businesses, sort of half a million turnover to maybe four or five million because to that to that half a million point, I think you're in that, you know, I can do everything, I can do anything, sort of mm-hmm. initial business buzz. And without... Without overselling myself, you probably can't afford me. Um, I think once you get to that sort of half a million mark, you've now you're now in a position where you've got a, you know, a proper business, yeah. Um, and you've got to start making proper business decisions. Um, yeah. And you know, when you've got a team, that brings in all sorts of other things. With you know, obviously, just having a team always causes problems. But you've got things about delegation and responsibilities and 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 report lines and all that sort of stuff so it becomes you know what as i say what i call proper grown-up business Mm. and at that point it is useful to have somebody just to sit down and go phil can we just talk about this and i'm thinking sometimes i'm thinking of doing this is that okay Mm. it's almost we talked about accountability it's almost an approval thing because often Mm. and i you know I didn't set my business up till I was 32 and I'd never run my own business. So anybody who sets up their own business for the first time, there is that certain points where you go, is it okay if I do this? And and, because you don't know, because you, you know, with a lot of business owners, you're making, and I was the same, you you know, you you get as much information as you can, but to a degree you're making it up as you go along. And actually having somebody to go, does this just, can I just, double-check this with you. Does this sound like a really stupid idea? Mm. Yeah. And usually it's, no, you know, go for it, knock yourself out. Mm. Um, but you, you, you know, in most businesses, you haven't got somebody to do that with. Mm. Um, but as I say, you know, as you're growing a small business, it's, it's, right, we'll just do everything and just get stuck in and we'll learn as we go along. Once you get to that proper business size or, or grown-up business size, then that's when probably my services are, are probably most valuable. But at the same time i've worked I've worked with startups um, you know as part of the joy of the startup is making all the mistakes, mm. and learning as you go along, and yep. you go, well, you know if I press this button what happens it's that it's that type of feeling when you're doing a startup and you what you don't want is somebody going, oh, don't press that button <laughs> you need the <laughs> flexibility to <laughs> press that button and see what happens,
1: yeah, yeah. And because you're small enough, you know, when the mistakes do happen, they should be small enough, and they shouldn't be too damaging. Hopefully, yeah. Um, and you want to get those out of the way early on, really.
0: And yeah, people people always say you learn by your mistakes. Mm-hmm. There's no, but there's no benefit in me saying to somebody, "Oh, we did that and it didn't work. Don't do that." Mm-hmm. It's just, just just no benefit in doing that at all.
1: Well, I think it's easier to identify the culprit as well with a mistake, whereas with a success, it's kind of like. Well, there was a lot of variables to that. Why, we, why, did it, why was it why successful? It
0: yeah. Yeah. Why did it work? I don't know why it worked. Let's just try it again and see what happens.
1: <laughs> if I do the same thing again, will it work again? Who knows? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, let's get round to, so how did you get into this? So you obviously didn't, you know, you say you started your first business at 32. So let's go through that journey. How did you go into starting your own business? And how did you come from that business into doing what you're doing now?
0: Okay, so so I had, as I said, I left school having no idea what I wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. I fell into, uh, I because I was a trainee accountant for a year, which was completely mm-hmm. wrong for me. Um, I then ended up selling advertising space in newspapers and magazines, mm-hmm. um, which eventually took me to working in advertising within an ad agency in Leeds, where I was for seven years, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, so this takes me to sort of end of sort of 99-ish and mm. at that time the ad agency we were starting to get clients coming to us saying I, I, I want one of these newfangled websites that I've heard all about mm. um, sort of very similar to we talked about this earlier very similar to podcasts I've heard about these new podcasts I want mm. one um, mm. and, and that was you know, it feels strange saying it now but at that time we had clients going I've, I've read about these new websites, make, <laughs> make me one, you're my ad agency. Um, unfortunately, um, I was, uh, my role was account director, so I was sort of pseudo put in charge of what I suppose you'd now call a digital division. Mm. Uh, yeah, we were making it up as we were going along at the time. Um, and sort of did that role for about a year and I thought, you know, there might be legs in this internet thing. It mm. might, you know, it might take off. It might take mm. off. <laughs> um, and having been in an ad, ag- an ad agency for seven years, um, and 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 people will will recognise this. When you're in a service industry, you, you, a lot of the time you, you're recommending stuff to people. So in advertising, you know, we think you should do this ad or this ad, and then the client decides which one they want to do. And I got to the point where saying, actually, I want to be the decision maker rather than just putting ideas. So I thought, okay. This internet thing looks like it might work um, and I want to go client side. Um, So I was fortunate enough to get a job at William Hill, whose head office was in Leeds at the time. uh, And I was recruited to launch their first ever online casino. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: While I was at William Hill, we came across the concept of online bingo. I did a presentation to the board about online bingo and whether, whether we should do it. They decided they didn't want to do it. Cut a long story short, I left William Hill had a sort of eureka moment and thought this online bingo might have legs I'm going to go out and and I sort of dusted off the presentation I'd done to the board took it out to the market to get investment um for what would have been the UK's first ever pay-to-play online bingo site Um, failed miserably but what I'd done as part of my research for the presentation was I would built a website that listed all of the US, it was only in the US at the time, all the US bingo sites and, and had a, a pop-up on there for, for some demographics so that I could say when I was doing my presentation for my investment, I know about the audience, I know their age, their, you know, mm-hmm. how much they spend, their frequency, that sort of thing. But what happened was a number of the sites that were listed on my website came to me and said, can we advertise on your website? Which so I said, okay, yeah. send me some money. And i at the time, you know I'll work out how to put a banner on on yeah the website. <laughs> um and that was how the business started totally by accident completely the wrong sort of it it wasn't even a pivot it was a you know it was an adjunct a, a mm. tangent to what we'd done and that became the business mm. so again very long story short 18 years later we sold it to a plc mm. um since then that was three years ago um and in the last year or so i've been offering my services as i say as a a business sounding board so basically using all my years of experience to advise you know other businesses i'm i'm simply a business owner who's slightly further down the train track than than they are so Mm. that's
1: the short version of a very long story (laughs) so so let's go back to you selling the business like just take us through that thought process. So what, what was it, obviously you've invested a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money, a lot of yourself into creating a business, growing a business and getting it to a size where it is you know, an, practic- an attractive prospect for someone to buy. Um, what, made you, what made you decide to sell? But how did you get to that position? And then once you sold, where were you then? And then where did you come to, well, this is what I'm going to do next. The selling the business wasn't
0: a proactive thing. Um, however, over the years we, I mean, it took 18 years to go from kitchen table to sale. Um, but over the years we'd been approached a lot of times by people saying, can we buy the business? So, um, every time I'd always said, you know, if you give us enough money, I'm, I'll, I'll quite happily sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing a lot of business owners sometimes don't, uh, don't recognise. Actually, there is, there is a time to take the money off the table. You know, people do get very attached to their businesses, their baby and all that sort of thing. Um, we, and this sounds um, a bit odd, but, but some business owners will, will understand this. About six years before we finally sold, I'd got to the point where actually I was, I was bored. And this mm. is an entrepreneurial thing. You like the idea of a new business and lots of ideas mm. and all of the thing. And we got to the point where actually it was ticking over very nicely. And I got bored. So I said, okay, well, let's sell. We went through the sales process. Um and we got an offer on the table and actually didn't sell. Um, but the plan was always, plan B was always get somebody else in to run it for us. So I so we went down the route of plan B and got um, I got He took the title of commercial director, but it was sort of a number two, basically. So he was running the business, which took me emotionally slightly out of the business as well, and and took me out from a day-to-day point. So when we did come to sell, it wasn't that heart-wrenching thing about about selling. Mm -hmm. And and when we got to the point where we sold, it was actually triggered by somebody approaching us again. Somebody approached us and said, we're interested in in buying you. I gave them the usual answer, put enough money on the table and quite happy to walk away. What happened was that that deal didn't happen, but it triggered a discussion with somebody else who actually did buy us in the end. Mm. But by that point, I was emotionally detached from it. It was, you know, it was a successful business. It was doing very, very well. We'd had a lot of fun with it, but they put enough money on the table and a well structured enough deal for me to go, yeah, happy, mm. to, happy to sell. And, and again, for, for people who are listening, there is a number, there's a number of points you need to get your, your ducks in a row before you sell. And one of them is, as the business owner, you have to be able to not be involved on a day-to-day basis for it to be sellable. Because if not, you haven't got a business to sell. Yeah. Um, so it needs to be, to, you as the business owner need to be taken out of the business and the business still run itself. Yeah. For, it to be, for it to be an asset to, to, to buy. And and we'd got, although I hadn't proactively done it like that, we had almost by accident got to that point where we, where we were in that situation. And the other thing to bear in mind is also the structure of the deal. Now, a, a friend of mine sold, actually sold his business on Monday. He, he rang me on Monday, said, I've oh, sold the business. Um, and one of the things he talked about, and we were very fortunate about as well, was the structure of the deal. So mm-hmm. most people think, and this isn't the case, you know, you give me you know, a million pounds and I'll give you the keys to the office and I'll walk away, thank you very much, goodbye. It doesn't work like that. Most deals are structured over a time period. So it might be 50% on day one, it might be 25% on year one and 25% on year two. The, yeah, that's, sim- that's a simple deal structure. Lots of deal structures are all over the place. So again, if you're selling, you need to be aware of not only the price, but the structure of the deal as well. And is there an earn out? Have you got to stay in? How long have you got to stay in for? Mm. all that sort of stuff we were very fortunate we had a very simple and very quick structure so although it wasn't mm. you know here's the keys here's a check it was over a three-month period that pretty much was it which mm. was great so the sale came about by accident so we didn't proactively sell ourselves since then so i sort of and it's weird once you when you sell you then go okay what, what do we do now which yeah. is you know people all will talk about you know launching businesses growing businesses you get to the exit mm. people don't talk about the bit after mm. you know we we finished on a friday and then sort of monday morning you know i might go to the gym <laughs>
1: <laughs> what am i going to do is, with myself today
0: <laughs> it is, absolutely and it is a little bit of that so what i did What I started doing, I I did a lot of, uh, I've done some um, voluntary mentoring stuff. So I've done some work with Prince's Trust. I've done some work with uh, Young Enterprise, and I've also been going into schools. And it is interesting, we talked about my career right at the start. One of the things I do is I go into schools, to sixth formers, and talk to them about careers and CVs and jobs and and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I'm fortunate that I can say to kids, in the same way that you asked me, what do you, you know, what did you want to do when you were at school? I sit in front of the sixth formers and say, you know, when you get asked, what do you want to do? It's almost an irrelevant question because my career path went all over the place and everybody's will do as well. So, I did a, so I've did it. So i done some voluntary work, been into schools, did that sort of thing. And then what happened was friends who got businesses started asking me for my advice. You know, oh, Phil, you've been through the sales process. What does it look like? What yeah. does it feel like? You know, I've got this issue. Can I just talk to you about it? And, and, and I love talking to people about their businesses. So I'm quite happy about doing that. And then when lockdown happened, I thought, actually, people seem to be valuing what I'm saying and the advice I'm giving and, and I'm enjoying doing it. And it's flexible enough for me to dip in and dip out as I want. I'm going to do this professionally as a, as a paid for service. And, and that's how I got to what
1: I'm doing now. Mm. So setting yourself up, um, getting those first sort of initial clients, was that just a matter of monetizing? sort of questions you were already being asked or did you how did you go in with an approach? I mean, obviously you've you've been through that whole business journey. Did you go into this with this similar sort of business mindset of right, you know, how do I monetize this and productize it? And was it the same sort of journey, or was it it just kind of evolved a bit more naturally?
0: It's sort of it's sort of part evolved and and part professionalized. So you know having a background in advertising and marketing, having marketing my own businesses, the first thing was, and it's quite a weird process, we go, okay, what's the product? What are the features and benefits? You know, who's the audience? All the things you would do with any normal product. Mm. How am I going to launch it? How am I going to market it? Where do I find my audience? All that sort of thing. Um, but it's weird doing it for yourself because mm. you, you almost decomp, decomp, decompartmentalize yourself. So I am a person and a product, and I'm thinking, how do I market that product? And who are my audience and where do I find them and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, And it's, and the the other thing as well is if you think about my audience, it's, it's business owners. Okay. And it's business owners who are growing and want to grow and want to develop and want to improve. But as a business owner, you have to have a certain amount of ego and a certain amount of oomph about you to, Mm. to, you know, running your own business isn't right for everybody, but the type of person it is right for, for them to, that type of person to hold their hand up and go, I need some help Mm. is sort of counterintuitive because a business owner tends to have that ego and that oomph and and, and that. So because of that, then you go, okay, well, they're going to ask, you know, they're going to, they're going to need to talk to somebody. And pretty much open up, you know, everything and go, look, I'm really worried about sales or I I can't solve this or whatever. So for them to do that, it's got to be somebody they trust, it's got to be somebody they know, it's got to be somebody hopefully they like. So you know, mm-hmm. no like trust is a obviously standard thing lots of people go through. So that's the journey I'm on now is to get getting, getting out there and, and people first knowing who I am, mm-hmm. hopefully liking what I'm saying and what I'm doing and then get mm-hmm. to the point where, yeah, I can trust this guy with my issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, my first, all of my first few clients have all come through previous contacts mm. um, which is good because they've already been through that no like trust process already mm. yeah you know, what i haven't cracked yet is actually having a client that hasn't come through recommendation from somebody i know or is or is somebody i know and that yeah. would be that would be
1: quite a big first step or yeah. second step um, yeah yeah how you handle that and you know it has to you kind of have to nail that one don't you in a way because it's like oh well it's the person that doesn't know me doesn't have any sort of background but you know you have got you have got a great narrative behind you you've got a great story already there that you can that you can work off you know it's proven success it's not like someone can say well you didn't do that it's like well i did (laughs) so that that helps massively Uh, when you were saying that you got, you got bored with the company, do you think that was just because you, there was no challenge left? You, you, you met all the challenges you'd seen that journey through to a point of, well, I, I've built the business now, you know, I've got it, I've got it there. There wasn't much else to do apart from scale it then, like, you know, to keep scaling and keep scaling and keep scaling. And, Maybe at that point, it's like, well, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else, but I don't know what I want to do. Is, I mean, is that fair about your, your sense of boredom with the company?
0: Yeah, I think there's, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. I think the first is um, you know, sort of Maslow's hierarchy. You know, mm. When you start up your own business, your first thing is, shit, I need to make a profit. Mm. You know, and then it's, okay, have I got enough money to, uh, you know, am I then paying myself? Then it's, Mm. am I paying myself enough to put food on the table, pay the rent, maybe buy a smarter car, maybe go on a holiday? And Mm. it just ticks up, you know, you go up that that point of hierarchy. So there's that side of it. Then the other side of it, um, I always compare it to spinning plates. Mm. With a business, you've got loads and loads of plates to spin. And then when you get to the point where you step back and go, all the plates are spinning, Mm. and you're sort of Maslow's hierarchy, you know, you've got enough money to live on and buy as many cars as you want or
2: Mm. obviously
0: yachts or (laughs) we never got (laughs) to that point but you know what I mean you got to the point where actually another pound isn't going to make any difference either way yeah then the challenge then becomes okay what is the challenge and you're right is scaling the right challenge and and I think I got to the point where it was you know I've got enough money coming in from this it's running it's pretty much running itself. Mm. And I think, again, with entrepreneurs, one of, the, one of the exciting things is the whole startup phrase. Mm. Like, I've got a new idea, can I take it to market? Can I make it work? How do I get people to buy it? All that sort of, they're, they're the exciting things. Things like, um, you know, the office needs repainting or somebody's, I've got to discipline somebody because they didn't turn up for work or, you know, all, yeah. the, all the shit that comes with running a business You know, Mm. oh, Phil, we've run out of toilet roll in the loom. Oh, for fuck's sake. You know, this isn't why I (laughs) did, this isn't why I started my own business. So you do get to a point, and this is where the boredom is, you get to the point where you go, okay, what is the next challenge? Now, I could have set myself another challenge and go, right, okay, let's double the size of it, let's triple the size of it, let's buy a competitor, which we could have easily done. But, yeah, it was, but, but then what happened was because we, because as I said, we brought in a number two. The new challenge now was was training him and developing him and and motivating him, and mm. sitting with him and deciding what the strategy was, and 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 so it became a new challenge. And I think that was probably the issue is 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 the challenge. It's probably all the challenges had been knocked down.
2: Mm.
0: It was yeah, probably. No challenges. And it, it you know, it sounds wrong to say oh, I was bored with the business because it was so successful. It's not meant to be arrogant, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's meant to be,
1: oh, look at me,
0: bitty, Yeah, it's bitty, not derogatory, it's, it's just like not, it's...
1: that's where you'd got to. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And then <laughs> also see, I then thought, okay, well, we could try and do this. And you get to as an entrepreneur, you get you get shiny new object syndrome mm. of oh, here's a new idea, here's a new, here's a new market How are we could go do it. And and yeah, that Takes you down
1: lots of rabbit holes that you don't want to be down. So is this now the perfect job, at least for the moment, for you? Because you're you're getting to use all of those entre- entrepreneurial skills. You're getting to use all of that experience, and you're getting to see new ex- new ideas all the time. And especially if you see one that you get really excited about. I mean, it must be just like oh yeah, let's really make this work. You do a bit of angel investing as well. Uh, like, do you do that? sort of through your business sounding but like do you use that as a way in of like actually this has got all the right ingredients i think this is really viable i want to put some money into this like is that how you operate it or do you just sort of look at various other businesses and kind of invest now and again or
0: yeah it actually comes a different route i'm i'm part of a couple of angel investment groups um, mm. so we get some very 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 like dragon's den but without all the ego um mm. on a regular basis there's a a very large group of people over a couple of networks that i'm in and and businesses come in and present their businesses and go you know this is what the business is yeah like dragon's den yeah i want 250 grand for 25 the business whatever it might be Mm -hmm. and the beauty of that is you could you end up investing as part of a syndicate Mm -hmm. so you have different people with different skills looking at it from different perspectives um Mm -hmm. and even if even if it's not something I invest in, it's actually interesting to see what's happening in the market, what's, what what the bad ones are, which then give contrast to the good ones. So you look at the ones you go, I don't fancy that, but actually what it then allows you to do, obviously I don't, you can then almost teach yourself, I don't like that type of business, but I do like this type of business. Mm. But what it also allows you to do is, and again, one of the things, one of the reasons I wanted to do it was actually, again, to put my 10 pennies in. Mm. So it's not just, here's... 10 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, off you go and tell me how you get on. It's mm. actually, it's what I think the term is gray hair money. So it's actually not only taking the money, not only giving the money in, but actually giving the advice as well. Mm. And anybody who is looking for business investment, the money isn't the key thing. The mm. skill set of what people bring in will be the key thing or should mm-hmm. be. Um so yeah, that's 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 where the angel investment side of things come in. And I've made uh what have we done two two through the angel group so far. One of which oh. seems to be doing quite well, one's ticking along. But mm. that's, the, that's the nature of angel investment. You know, if you do 10 investments, you know, six will just toddle along, mm. three will die, and
1: you just hope the one covers the cost of the other ones. Yeah, yeah, well, that's it. You only need one winner, don't you? And then, you know, if it wins yeah. big enough, it covers the, the cost for the other ones. Yeah. I'll go, I want to go back a little bit now, because I want to just go back to when you were setting up the website and getting those first sort of ad, you know, getting that initial ad money in, Yeah. how did you go about sort of pricing that? Did you, I mean, did you just take the money that was offered with the first amount that was offered and then you went from there to kind of like, right, this is my price for this, like, did, did they set the price? Did you set the price? How did, how did you get that to work? It was it's an
0: interesting one actually,
1: because as I said, my background was was selling
0: advertising in newspapers yeah. and magazines. So all, all I was doing was doing the same thing, but on a website.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and for the first few initial years, it was make up a number, mm-hmm. tell them how much it is. And and most all of our clients were non-UK. So it was, it was from a cash flow point of view, it was great because it was okay, you send me the money, and when the money lands, I will run the ad. Mm. So cash flow was brilliant, but from a pricing point of view, it was okay, uh, I'm gonna charge you $200 for whatever it was we were selling. And the way I worked it was, if they came back and said, can I book again next month? I thought, well, okay, it must be working for them. So I'll put the price up, and will make it $300. Yeah. And in theory, we sort of kept putting the prices up each month until they started squeaking and going, oh, yeah. well, it didn't work this month. So I go, all right, well, well, we'll drop it down a bit. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a fluid rate card mm. made up as we went along. Mm. But actually what happened, as the, the market, so, so initially it was like, you know, here's an ad, it'll be on this page for a month and it'll cost you $500, whatever it might be. As the market developed, the, the market became led by the affiliate marketing model. So it was in very simple terms, I will run your ad for free, but you will pay me back a share of the money people spend coming from our website Mm -hmm. that then gave us a fluid marker as to what the value was so we could do both we could either say we'll do it on an affiliate basis Mm -hmm. or having seen what the affiliate numbers are we can actually fix a price on it and and you know whichever way whichever way you slice it we will end up with approximately the same amount of money yeah um but yeah the pricing was 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 keep putting it up until somebody doesn't want to pay it and and by Mm -hmm. that point the market was. We were very fortunate. We were in a growing market that there were new new people coming on board and going right. Okay, I want to advertise there. And you go, well, it's five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars, whatever it might be. And we created we created new ad positions as we grew, and and tested them. I said, okay, I've got this idea for an ad, you know, here or there or or whatever it might be. And, and right. so we put it out to the market and go. This is our new ad position we're testing it at, you know, this price, $500, whatever it might be, you can have it for $400 if you give us feedback on on how well it went. Mm. And then the client will give us feedback and go, we got 10 players from it or something. We're okay, we're underpriced on this one. So we'll put it up again. So it was very, very fluid.
1: Yeah. Do you think it would have worked if you hadn't had the ad background? That's a very good question. That's a very good question.
0: I don't know actually, because uh, it's hard to tell. Because if, yeah. if if you gave it to somebody who hasn't got an ad background, they might not have come up with the
1: solutions we came up with. Or they um, might have kept their prices low. For, they might have just been like, "Well, they're paying us money, so you know." Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting question, actually. But it, I think
0: one of the reasons why it did work, or at least we, at least we saw the opportunity, was because of my background. It was like, "Oh, this is what I've done. I've done this before." Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The difference yeah. between selling a full color page ad in a magazine and selling a banner ad on a website is exactly the same. It's exactly mm-hmm. the same thing. It's like, you you send us your ad, we'll put it on our product, and you pay us this much money. Yeah. The, only, the, 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 the upside, or sometimes the downside, mm-hmm. is actually online advertising. You can see what's worked and what hasn't worked because you can track all your clicks, so you can track your yeah. versions and, and your values and all that sort of stuff, which obviously you can't necessarily do in a newspaper
1: ad or a magazine ad but that might be a a branding ad as well let's go back to to what you're doing at the moment you're doing all of this as a sole trader the business sounding board yep working on everything yourself so you'll be producing all the content all your social media marketing all your bookings and and everything how how is that as a change I mean do, do you I mean if you could have it ideally what you're doing now the same would you have like an assistant or someone to do bookings and things like that or are you happy doing everything yourself is that part of the charm of it or how do you how do you feel about doing everything again
0: yeah it's 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 an interesting one actually because um on one hand i'm doing this because it's a lifestyle business uh, and you know, some people frown at the phrase lifestyle business. You know, lots lots of people are very very happy having a lifestyle business, and it not growing to be you know multi million pounds. That's absolutely fine, and and that's what I'm doing uh, because it it fits. Conversely, my sort of entrepreneurial spirit, my marketing spirit, is, you know, right, okay, I need more clients, I need more clients, I need more marketing, I need to I need to put things out more. And you know, you compare yourself to other people and other operations and all that sort of stuff. But as it stands at the moment. I'm happy producing the content I'm producing, um, and, and the vast majority of that is either on LinkedIn, on my website, or via my newsletter. And and a lot of the time I'm repurposing stuff across all three. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's on my newsletter database and follows me on LinkedIn will see similar stuff. Now some of it's not the same because they're different, um, they're different marketing medium, and and obviously appearing on podcasts as well as a marketing role. So yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy doing all the stuff on my own. I think one of the issues is what I'm trying to do, and we talked about No Like Trust previously, Mm. is by the content I'm putting out, Mm. I'm trying to do a number of things. One is to say, look, this guy knows what he's talking about Mm. because he's been there and done that and all that sort of thing. One of it and, and some of it is just awareness. Mm-hmm. and yeah, I've had this two or three times that I've bumped into people and they've said bloody hell you're all over the place aren't you <laughs> now they've not yeah and the weird thing is yeah they don't comment on LinkedIn they don't like they yeah. don't interact they're yeah. not on the newsletter but they're seeing it and hearing it which is great yeah. so on one side I'm quite happy just creating this stuff and creating and most of it is coming from experience or stuff I've done before or, or just I'll see things and go oh ping that'll create an idea and actually my list of content ideas is, is just grows all the time. Go, oh, I could write about that. I could write about that. And I, I find it fascinating. People go, I don't want to do social media and I don't want to do content because I don't know what to write about. And I'm thinking, for fuck's sake, I've got tons of the stuff here. Mm. Um, so I'm enjoying that side of things. And I don't think, I think if the business got to the size where I needed to bring somebody on,
2: mm.
0: then it's probably not doing what I wanted to do because then it becomes yeah. a job. Yeah, mean um, obviously I want it
1: to be a job, but I don't want it to be a nine to five, five days a week, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so that brings me into a kind of work life balance wellness kind of arena. So, you know, is part of it just like you want to work less and you want to do interesting work? I mean, what what's what's the goal for you here? Obviously, you want you know, you want some of that there. Uh, you want to keep it interesting for yourself. What are the other kind of factors that you're looking for that made you decide to do this work? I think
0: I enjoy, the first thing is I enjoy doing it. I'm, I'm fortunate enough having sold the business that there isn't that demand to, to have to have a job and, and have to work. Um, so then the question is, okay, well, what, what do you want to do? And it's people think, oh, great. And I've talked about this, I've mentioned it before. You, know, you sell the business and you go, shit, what do we do now? you know, you mm. can't play golf every single day, you know, <laughs> and I don't play golf anyway, and you can't get the gym, you know, nine to five. So you've got to do mm. something and I'm far too young to, um, to retire. So I've got to do something that's interesting and stimulating, but at the same mm. time, I don't want to be chained to a desk and a nine to five and do a job. Mm. So yeah, doing this, I think ticks a number of boxes. It's got the flexibility, that I'm not doing it nine to five, and Monday to Friday. I've got the fact that I can do it from anywhere, so mm. I can go. You know, I've just come back from from being in Spain. I talk to clients from there, so there's, there's no issue doing that. And yeah, it's stimulating. And I mean, the, the the real thing I'm aiming for is for clients to say, "Yeah, Phil, you made a difference. You yeah, know, mm. you really helped me." And and you know, the last client I dealt with, he sent me a very lovely testimonial. One of the things was. He said, you've allowed me to fall back in love with my business. Mm. And that's great. And, and mm. that is, I suppose that's the end game is for me to have clients who send me a testimonial. That's, mm.
1: that's the end game. If I've done that, then everything else is fine. Mm. Uh, so that's made me think, who was the business sounding board for you when you were, when you were starting your business up? So it's interesting that the, the sounding board for me was actually my
0: wife. Mm. Um, now we started the business together because it started from home. It took us five years before we got any staff, and then she wasn't working day to day, but was always there and knew what was going on and was in interviews with with people we we took on board and all that sort of stuff. So she was the sounding board. But we had at four different points we had external consultants came in and advised us on the business, mm. um, and they were really really helpful. Now whether whether a husband or wife or partner is the right person to be a sounding board I'm not sure because at some point some point you've got to tell you know you've got to tell your client your baby's ugly now your wife partner husband may well not want to do that my wife was quite happy telling me Phil that's a shit idea don't do that (laughs) (laughs) but at the same time um you know somebody completely independent and again this is one of the things that that I can bring to the table is there's no politics. It's confidential. It's, you know, if I give you advice or point at something, mm. it's because that's the best thing to do, not because I'm thinking, you know, if you if you, if you you speak to your sales manager or sales director and go, you yeah, know, what do you think of this? Yeah, uh, he's not going to go, Phil, that's fucking shit, and you, you're talking bollocks because <laughs> he'll get, all right, he won't get sacked, but you know what I mean? So yeah. you need somebody, as I say, to tell you your baby's ugly. And only certain people can do that. And, and, you know, one of the things, one of the, think the fourth of the four people who came in externally, he did a he did a brilliant exercise with my team and, and sat down and, and asked them all confidentially, okay, what do you think? What's good? What's bad? What should we do? What should we don't do? Blah, 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 blah. And then rolled it all together and sort of presented it back to me and the management team. And I've actually done this for, for a couple of clients as well. And one of the things I was told via this was... We, we talked about shiny new object syndrome, was the team basically said, Phil, will you just get out of the way and let us get on with doing our jobs? <laughs> now, nobody's gonna tell me that face to face. Yeah. But they, they, yeah, cumulatively it came through the consultant. And again, you know, I am able, or any, any coach or external mentor or sounding board is able to say to a business owner, you know, you're in the way of the business. Mm um so that's where the value or 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 any other hard truths that need to be told Mm. to have somebody who to say to you do you know what you're gonna have to shut the business down it really is not working it's you know Mm. wasting your money you know a member of staff's not going to tell you that Mm. you know your husband or wife might not tell you that Mm. and that's the value of, of of external advice not always to show your business, but yeah, the hard truths (laughs) and the ugly babies, that's, that's, that's where the value is. And yeah, you know, we had huge step changes after we had people coming in and doing, doing exactly that. And I did Mm. get out of the way. Mm. Does it take a Yorkshireman then to, to do this kind of job? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. We're the best at doing this, aren't
1: we? That's bloody wrong. That's bloody wrong. Yeah. (laughs) You're doing that Um, wrong. when you look when you're looking at businesses or when you look back at your own business what I want to get to here is I think there's some tension between the you know the business that's going to succeed is the business that's filling a gap in the market and the gap in the market is generally someone doing something or something in some way that's not being done at the moment but then the business mentality is a kind of we know what works, things need to be done this way. If you want the money, you're gonna to have to do it this way. Do you understand what I'm getting at here? It's like, yeah. there's some tension between how the, biz, how, how the business world is kind of like, right, this is how it all works, but they know that there are gaps in the market that can be filled. But like with your bingo business, it's like, you know, you take it to William Hill and like anyone with the fourth, foresight would be like well that's obviously going to happen at some point yes we should do that now but at the time you're like well we make money this way doing this if we added that that's an additional risk so how what's your experience in that kind of that that area of tension and how do you resolve it for yourself I suppose is the best way I can formulate a question for that I think
0: this may or may not answer your question, but I think what you're getting at, um, and and this comes up a lot with with the angel investment pitches, is what is the problem you are solving? Yeah. Okay. And why are you the best person slash company to solve that problem? Mm -hmm. Now, there may already be, other, and this is a secondary thing, there may already be other people solving that problem. So why would they use your solution to solve that problem rather than either somebody else's or more difficultly, the solution they're using already? So the more painful the problem, usually the higher you can charge, yeah? So you, you and and I used to say this, yeah, our website was very easy to copy. In, in a simplistic basis, so mm. for, so for example, you could you could quite easily create um, an online auction site similar to eBay. Mm. Yeah, so you're complete. You're okay, right. We've we've got an online auction site. Why would I want to use it rather than using eBay? Now that's a, this is a very extreme example.
2: Mm. Um,
0: Now, when eBay came to market, if I remember right, I don't know if there were any other auction sites, so it's a different market. They're coming out, we've got something completely brand new. So you're either going in completely brand new, which goes back to the the online bingo example with William Hill. It's like, Mm. does that problem exist? Does that desire exist? Or you're in a situation where you're going, okay, this problem exists, other people have recognised it, but actually we solve it better. Mm. So again, if you take the example of Airbnb, So, you know, but before, and again, I'm sure there were other people before A, B, and B didn't do it right, but, you know, previously you book a hotel Mm. or, you know, a friend who's who would let you have a room, but they created a market that didn't exist or Mm. or solved a solution or they had, sorry, they identified a a problem and came up with a solution of people Mm. with spare rooms or spare
1: houses who wanted a, a, a market to rent them at. Well, they kind so, of monetized couch surfing, didn't they? They, they yeah. kind of made it a little bit more executive, charged yeah. money for it, and yeah. But, but what they did, and this is, this is what... Uh, and again, going back, to, going back
0: to my website or our website, um, I always used to say to people, why, should, why would somebody come to our website rather than somebody else's? Mm-hmm. And, and you can ask that question of any person's business. Why should somebody use your business compared to somebody else's business who does the same thing. So, you know, why would I go to Subway rather than Greg's Mm. in a a very simplistic term? Mm. So if you create, you go, I'm gonna create, I've always wanted to create my own sandwich shop. Fantastic, go and knock yourself out. Why would I want to come to your sandwich shop rather than go to Greg's? Mm. Taking all the, you know, politics out of why you'd want to go get a cheese pasty from Greg's, but, but mm. you, you see the point. So the, the simple question for any, and it's a horrible question. It's a sure. horrible question. Why should I use you rather than the person down the road who does the same thing? Mm. Now, if you can solve that person's problem better, mm. it might be quicker, it might be cheaper, it might be better quality, you know, then yeah. you know, Why do people use Amazon Prime? Because it arrives tomorrow. Mm not and you know amazon prime will end up being more expensive than going another route but actually the pain point the pain point isn't the product the pain point is i want it now Mm. and that's that's what they've (laughs) identified so it's always the case of what is the pain point you know Mm. and again it might be why do i go to your sandwich shop rather than greg's Mm. well actually it's nearer Mm. might be more expensive but actually the pain point is I'm hungry. I want it now. Yeah. So I mean, anybody's product has to identify what the pain point is and why they
1: solve it better than somebody else. Okay. So with that in mind, if you're thinking like as a new business, I think the the difficulty there can be, you know, making it concise and getting it down to one or two or three things, you know, if you like, I, I'm thinking I'm gonna using the sandwich shop example is like what can you bring to the market that's different? Well, I'll bring ambience and personality and I'll be, you know, I'll have it decorated this way. And all of those things matter and they count, and they are things that you you have in mind when you're purchasing. But that's a lot of spiel to go through, and you can't really, you know, it's just saying, Well, I'm gonna do it better. And that's not something that you want to buy into as an investor of like, well, are you gonna do it better? How? so what I guess I'm getting at here is how do you how do you kind of distill those things the things that you know that you can do or that you want to do or that you're going to do better how do you kind of get to the point where you, you can put a name on those things is that just through doing I mean do you have to just go through the sort of doing stuff until you figure it out. And then once you've figured it out, you're then in a position to start moving forward and you and like really selling the business. Or does that all need to be in place first to make it work? It's, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's um it's to do I mean it, it depends if you're talking about
0: getting investment or whether you're just talking about getting customers. And I think it's you know we, we all we all eat lunch, mm. right? And again, we're doing doing the sandwich analogy. Do you really want to sit in a Subway to eat your sandwich? Or do you want, would you rather sit in a bijou cafe that's mm. lovely decorated and tablecloths and all that sort of thing? Some people mm. just want a sandwich and they'll get a yeah. Subway. Some people do want to sit in a, in a nice coffee shop and, and you know linen napkins and mm-hmm. uh, jams with little bits of string wrapped around them and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and it depends on your market, it depends on your market, depends on your audience and, and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and then it comes down to marketing mm. and how, how do you, you know, how do you market that sort of thing? And yeah, you know, that then opens a huge kind of worms about marketing and audiences and, and all, and brand and all that sort of stuff. But it is just about getting your message and your benefit or benefits mm. out to your audience. Mm. So there's no point in in you opening a, a bijou coffee shop and sticking in the middle of a city centre where all the office workers are. Because mm. they just want to grab a sandwich, get out, and go and sit back at their desk. Mm. Now, if you put it in the middle of, you know, I'm in North Leeds. So if you put it in the middle of Scarcroft or, or Weatherby, mm. put some nice tables outside and you know, make it very nice, fantastic. That's what people want to do. So it's mm. it's 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 product and marketing and solutions. And again, go back to the pain point. The pain point for a busy office worker is, give me a sandwich, give me a quick and I'm out. The mm. pain point, if you call it a pain point for somebody wandering around Weatherby, is, mm. my pain is I want somewhere that's nice and quiet and relaxed and quality and, and that's, the so, you know, that's the solution I want. Mm. Um, and I don't want to sit in a subway on a plastic table. It's, it's horses for courses, and and and, a, and again, one of the things one of the things we benefited from, and a, and a lot of people find counterintuitive, is actually niching. Yeah. If you're really, really focused and really niched, you will get a better product. So, so somebody gave me the example recently. I don't know if it's a true product or not, uh, a true story or not. Is um, personal trainer who mm-hmm. specialises in post-pregnancy women.
2: Mm. Okay.
0: So if you're a post-pregnancy woman, if you just had a baby and you want to get back in shape, this is the guy because he's an expert, that's what he does. Now, mm. realistically, any personal trainer could work with somebody who's just had a pregnancy. But because mm. he's niched, and, he, mm. and conversely, he or she could work with anybody and do any personal training, but he's niched so much that he becomes a shortlist of one. Yeah. And that's where you need to be. You need to be on a shortlist of one that you're the yeah. person to go to. Um, in the same way that I ideally want to be a shortlisted one, somebody gets to the point where they realise they need a sounding board and they go, it's got to be Phil Fraser.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. God, knows God knows why you'd want to do that, but you know what <laughs> I mean.
1: <laughs> so, But isn't that, isn't that sort of like hyper-niche sort of stuff, is that that's only really viable online, surely, unless you're, you know, like if you were a shop, like well the harley davidson shop for example in leeds will be you know that'll sell harley davidson's to the whole of, of of yorkshire and you know the, i'm sure from other areas you know there'll be certain things that they can only get there but you know that's niche but it's still a big brand whereas that guy who's doing the, the personal training like post-pregnancy per- personal training I think it'd be really difficult to do in a city unless it was you know like a, a decent size you need at least a million people there to sort of have the customer base
0: no no you don't no you don't no? let's 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 look at what you've just said the harley davidson shop okay mm. i know i know the one you mean i drive past it on a regular basis mm. that's a niche mm. you know, i might want i want to i want, might be a a, a motorcyclist and I want to buy a new bike but if i have not decided i want a harley davidson i'm not i'm not an all i'm not the target audience so that mm. harley shop sells to harley people and that is a niche that's a niche of yeah you know, think about how many people ride motorbikes and how many people ride harleys mm. i don't know what the figures are i'd guess five, 10 percent something like that yeah so it's a niche it's a niche brand and it's not like it's not like um uh, a motorcycle shop that sells multiple brands that's mm. got a bigger audience yes it's still niche because it's selling to motorcyclists not car drivers mm. and again if you think about going back to numbers if you think about your personal trainer or the personal trainer example I gave let, let's do some maths let's say it's, he does hour sessions and he wants to do four sessions a day five days a week so he only needs 20 clients mm-hmm. and that's if they only do one session a week mm-hmm. if they do two sessions a week he only needs 10 clients
2: mm.
0: now you go and stand outside Jimmy's and count count the people who are going into the maternity unit. Mm. It doesn't doesn't take a lot of people. Doesn't take mm. a lot of, of of his universe to fill his his sales book. Yeah. Um, and often people, you know, you ask people who's your who's your audience. They go everybody. And mm. Well, there's two things. Number one, it isn't. <laughs> and number two, and number two, if they all came to you, you wouldn't be able to service them anyway. Yeah. So actually. That's nonsense. Yeah, and also if, again, you know, you go into a room of a hundred people, mm. and and let's say four are your audience, whatever product it is you're selling, you're irrelevant to ninety six of them. Fantastic, because yeah. you're on a short list of one for the four. Yeah. You know, you're never going to sell anything to everybody. Irrelevant of what you're selling. Yeah, and you won't be able to service them anyway, unless. You know, you're a massive company huge company yeah so niching, niching is the way to go it depends you know niche doesn't have to be
1: minute it has to be specialist I think as well the thing you get stuck in though is when you if you start thinking about something being niche, your mind goes into but but then I've excluded everybody else fantastic you know, it's kind of a yeah, <laughs> yeah. fantastic. <laughs> But you're resistant to that because you're like, well, then how do I get to them if I want to get to them? Well,
0: so you don't need to. You don't need yeah. to. You, you know, if you if you're realistic, you know, and and anybody's listening, if they look at their business and they're realistic and say, okay, what's what's our optimum number of clients we can service to a to a proper level? might mm. like that might be single figures, it might be double figures, it might be thousands. Mm. Yeah, there are so many people out there who aren't your audience. Why are you wasting your time on those? If you can service the right ones properly, you don't mm. need, you know, four out of hundred. You don't need the ninety-six. Yes, it is slightly counterintuitive to say, "Oh, I could, I could probably do a job for them," but you end up being beige mm. and trying to and trying to um, trying to speak to everybody, and you end up speaking to nobody. Mm. Yeah. Now, obviously. Yeah, there is the caveat that it depends on the product and it depends on the market and it depends on what you do. You know, a sandwich go back to the sandwich. We I mean, don't know why we talk about sandwiches. <laughs> is it nearly lunchtime? Nearly lunch <laughs> <laughs> You go back to the sandwich shop and a sandwich shop realistically could say, yeah, we could serve everybody sandwiches. We, you know, as many as you want. But actually, you know, if you've only got you've only ordered a hundred bread rolls today, you can only serve as a hundred people. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take it it the other way around. Say, I'm going to open a vegan sandwich shop. Mm. Yeah, obviously, everybody can eat vegan food. But actually, if you're a vegan, you're going to go to that sandwich shop. So you're niching. Mm. But you might think, oh, what about the people who want a meat sandwich? Well, you know, they're not your audience. You've got – there are enough vegans out there for you to get to the point where people go, you have to go to that vegan shop or that vegan Mm. sandwich shop because Mm. it's the best vegan sandwich shop. You wouldn't go, you've got to go to that shop because it sells everything. Yeah. That's yeah, that becomes a beige shop
1: compared to a niche shop. Mm. Yeah, I, I would agree with all of that. Right. So I'm gonna try and find some more questions. What I am going to touch on is uh, Brexit, uh, because I'm asking sort of everybody about this. <laughs> oh no, the dreaded word. Um, not not like you know, besides the politics of it, just the, the real, the realistic, the kind of fallout. So anyone that you're working with, has this been anything that's cropped up for them? Have, has anyone been worried? Has anybody said, my business is no longer viable, or my business is going to be super viable, now this is much better for me? Like, has, has it impacted your work at all? Are you seeing any impact at the moment? Do you expect to see anything? um i would say, well, it's it's not affected any of my work or
0: any of my clients to date and mm. you know i've never done any exporting or anything like that um mm. so i therefore probably not end up advising any clients on anything or any client who, who does exporting so i would say no mm. i think it, there might be secondary and tertiary things that come via it so it might be you know one of my clients is a a children's nursery and it might be that they employ staff who historically came from europe and now can't but it's not it's not something really on my business agenda or or or
1: or landscape for my clients i don't think Mm. um the other thing as well i want to i want to just clarify so when you're doing the business sounding board you, it's for any sort of business it's not are you just you're not just online focused again interesting question because when i first started and we talked about we talked about
0: um audience or, or customer avatars previously i thought okay well my background is advertising marketing and online so that's probably where my clients will be uh, but what's happened what i found is it's actually the type of business owner who is my client. So if you're a business owner and you're not interested in developing and growing and changing and being challenged, mm. it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you're not relevant to me. Conversely, mm. if you are looking to develop yourself, looking to improve as a business owner, looking for help and support, um, looking to change, looking to improve, then actually it doesn't matter what industry you're in because you know it's either gonna be a marketing issue, a strategy issue, an HR issue, a sales issue, or a finance issue, it's mm. just the same buckets, but different type. It's a different shit. Same bucket, but you know. <laughs> what I mean. They're always the same sort of problems. Yeah, yeah. But but it's 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 the type of business owner that makes the difference. So I'm I'm sector agnostic. Uh, size wise, I think anything over about five million is probably getting bigger than I ever experienced. So. Mm. Difficult for me to. If you've got issues with multi-location or international or going to IPO or something like that, I can't really advise because I've never done it.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, that's so sector agnostic, but I think it's it's the type of business owner is the important thing. And somebody wants yeah. to learn, wants to develop. And we talked earlier about egos and all that sort of thing. You know, mm. if I'm going to come in and go, I'm not going to go no and yes. But if I'm going to come in and challenge you, mm. you've got to want to listen and you've got to want to change mm. or, or at least be open to it rather than be somebody, no, I know what I'm doing. Yeah.
1: You can't tell me, I know what I'm doing. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't <laughs> so need like, well, yeah. I won't tell you then. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You could be, <laughs> you know, you could, you can, you can have a business exactly the same
0: as my business. So I've got exactly the same experience as you, but if you're not going to listen and you don't want to learn and you
1: don't yeah. want to develop, then you're not a client. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that takes me to sort of, you know, we've discussed, we've touched on egos, and obviously, there's got to be a certain amount of ego there to start your own business and so on, you know, but you also need, you need that sort of um, self belief to kind of do the thing, but then you don't want so much self belief that it gets in the way, so i i i mean do you do you screen your clients at all? I mean obviously you're working with people that you know more at the moment, but um I mean, can you imagine yourself sort of screening clients of like can I work with this person? Would you normally sort of have an introductory meeting and kind of get a sense of the person like how do you yeah. manage the emotions and so on of all of that
0: yeah, I think um the clients I've had and and some of the clients I've not had um we've had uh sort of what do you call them it's not uh, i'm not checking them but but a, um, a you know a pre a pre-working together chat you know yeah. and i think it's more it's probably more from them testing me out than, than me yeah. testing them out but at the same time you do get the feeling when you speak to people you go well yeah, i could work with this guy or this girl um or they don't really sound like they really want my services which is absolutely fine um you know there's no point in me banging my head against a brick wall so yes I want to work with the right people but I yeah. think it becomes self-evident that either they don't want to work with me or if I don't want to work with them I sort of make it quite clear that I you know, kick it into the long grass or something let's have a
1: yeah. let's have a talk about it in three months time or yeah something like that would you but, say yeah, that I comes think- quite quickly is that you know is that something that you can sense Fairly early, on obviously not all the time, but most of the time we're kind of like, yeah, we're we're on the same wavelength. Is, does that come quite quick?
0: Yeah, I think I think the other thing is um, clients and potential clients are going to be self-selecting anyway. Mm. Yeah, you know, I'm not out there knocking on doors and cold calling people. Hey, do you want a business mm. sounding board? Yeah, who are you? Um, <laughs> they're going to be at some point. They are going to self-select by contacting me. Yeah. Now it might then be that we have a we have a chat and and i actually feel like i can't help them or they're or more more likely they're at the wrong stage of their business journey mm. but actually talking together and, and me sort of explaining what i do and how i can benefit them they go actually i'm i'm not ready yet yeah um, and i've had a, and i've had a few i've had a few conversations like that yeah um, often it's it's they're too early in the business journey and i'm quite happy to have a chat with them and discuss things and just bounce a few things around Mm. And I had this with a uh, with a potential client a few months ago, and and she came back to me and said, "Look, not ready yet, but you know, thank you very much for all of that. How much you know? How much do I owe you?" you know, it was just a chat, you know. She she actually yeah. got value out of yeah. our first
1: discussion. So yeah, I think I think the vast majority of the time it's self selecting.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I kind of would have expected that as well, and 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 people saying to you that they're not ready yet. But I would guess as well that the, the the people who are saying that they're not ready are going to be excellent clients because they know, they know they're not it, like whether they just feel it themselves. Like maybe the business is there, but they're not there yet, yep. but they, they have that self-awareness to know that I don't need this yet, or I can't afford this yet, or it's not going to benefit me right now, but this could be really useful in X amount of months. And I think, you know, they're, they're people to watch, I would guess as well, because it's like they've obviously got that self-awareness that I think is key. You know, you need to have that self-awareness to be able to bring someone else on board and to take that criticism and to not take it personally. So I think I've covered a lot of what I want to cover. I do want to kind of uh, touch on climate change and ecology stuff. So I'm going to try and do this on each, each episode now. So is that something... I mean, it's it's a difficult one because it's you know it's the elephant in the room. It's kind of like we all need to pay attention to this big thing that we don't want to pay attention to, and it's it's difficult to kind of set up in business and go, yeah, but also be sustainable, and to build that in at the beginning as well. Like even even myself, I'm I'm quite sort of conscious of it setting up a business I'm like well I can't really think about that until I've got money coming in until I've done this you know you need to get to that point of meeting that hierarchy of needs before you can actually think about something that seems like a luxury item when it shouldn't be a luxury item have you had any discussions about the sort of ecological side of business or worked with businesses that are thinking about that I mean, does it come up at all for you in, in in the work that you're doing? Yeah, it's it's not it's it's not come up at all with with any of
0: my clients or anything I've done to date. But I think I think it's one of those things that I think people are a lot more obviously aware of now. And I think if mm. you can, if when you're setting up a business, if you have that thought in mind, depends how how green you want to be and 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 all that sort of stuff. But there are things you can put in place immediately mm. and. Yeah, you know, things that probably you know, five, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have thought about. And, and people now have to change to do that. Um, mm. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Of that. I think the simplest thing we had was we had a recycling bin in our office, but we didn't have originally. Um, you know, And being carbon neutral and using you know recycled paper, whatever, whatever it might be, if you put those things in place when you first start, mm. um, depending on what they might be, then yeah, it it just becomes part of the fabric of the business rather than something you proactively have to do. But but it's not something that, that's come up on on discussions with any of my clients yet. Yeah.
1: yeah, I I mean I, I I think it will more and more, you know, as we as we go forward, it'll it'll just it'll get to the point where it'll bleed into business language and banking language, and then it'll just be something that we naturally discuss. Um, but yeah, it's not something that you can easily think about i don't think um what was the other thing that i wanted to touch on there um damn it i I really do have to start taking notes while i'm doing these <laughs> <laughs> okay there's your learning for today take notes yeah. or make notes before <laughs> you start well i i you know your question of what what's perfect 12 months from now for you perfect 12 months from now is uh having someone there that i can just do the interviewing not watch the clock not think of questions not make notes just uh, like be in the conversation that's my perfect there you go if you if you take that and and it's something you've referenced
0: there that we haven't talked about Yeah, you know, the thing i do ask my clients when the first questions is what does perfect look like in 12 months time mm. and a lot of people "What oh, a strange question and Actually, what it does is it focuses the client on what it is they're trying to do. Because then there's there's a number of things that happen. First is you go, okay, what what does perfect look like? And you go, right, that actually sets a target, and that's the first thing. But what you then do, you go through a process of going, okay, well, if that's what we want to do, what needs to be in place for us to do that? you go okay if that needs to be in place what do we need to do to make that happen and then who's going to do it and when they are you going to do it by and how much it could cost so in your case if you're saying in 12 months time i want to be sort of word perfect and time perfect and make notes and all that sort of thing, the first thing is like you know buy a pad and a pen you know it's, it's, it's almost <laughs> that simple you know or yeah you know, buy myself a clock it, yeah it, it does or you know, review what I did last time that was wrong. And and actually sets, a, sets yourself a strategy. And then yeah. you know, if logic works properly, you end up delivering what it is you're trying to do. Because mm. you've then said, yeah, you know, and this, the example I always give is, okay, let's say you said, or, or two examples, let's say uh, you said you, uh, you want to sell the business by the end of next year. Okay, so what do you need to do? Well, you need to, you need to get all your ducks in a row, you need, to, you need to get all your paperwork in place, you need to speak to an accountant, you need to maybe speak to a lawyer, you need to research the market, you need to maybe stop spending that much money on entertainment and, you know, maybe not take on that that uh, extra member of staff so it looks more profitable, maybe reduce your own salary. What, yeah, there's lots and lots of things that fall out of just one sentence, which is, we want to sell the company.
2: Mm.
0: Now, you know, conversely, if you said, we want to buy a competitor in a year's time we go okay what do we need to do to do that well we need to research the market we need to see who's out there we need to work out how it fits we need to maybe stop spending money so we've got a bit of a war chest to buy that person that company with uh, we maybe need to look at where it fits strategically how does it make a difference what you know what are the pros and cons we're doing so again that lots and lots of things for you know who we're going to talk to You know, do I do I give it to a project manager internally? Lots and lots of things fall out of one answer to one question. Yeah. But actually those two examples, you've got a myriad of completely different things you're gonna do
1: just by answering that one question. Yeah. I think it's kind of like a refinement of brainstorming in a way. It's kind of like what's your goal? What's your ideal? Right. We'll put that on the notice board. How do you get there? Correct. Absolutely. Very, very simple, yeah. Yeah. Like a critical path, like you know the book winster fuller sort of how do we get to space okay yeah.
0: i i've also i've used you know i've used this as an example when i've talked to people about this of um okay what's what's you you know all right it's not 12 months okay what's the goal i want to go to london hmm. okay right so how are we going to get there well we could go by coach we could go we could drive we could fly we could walk we could cycle right we've decided we go by train okay if we're going to go by train what's next well somebody needs to somebody needs to work out what's the timetable you know which which train are we getting mm. okay all right well we're going to get that right how are we going to get to the station before we get that right you've got to book a taxi for us to get to the station where are we going in london actually we're going to a hotel right somebody needs to book the hotel room okay how are we going to get from the train station right okay you're going to book. so actually you've now got people booking hotels booking taxis booking train tickets mm. And then you go, and then it happened. But until you've decided where you want to go, you can't decide what you're going to do.
2: Mm.
0: It doesn't work from the bottom. So we go, hey, I'm going to book a taxi. You go, mm. where to? <laughs> so it's, it's, yes. that simple wa- it's a simple waterfall thing. And it actually, it's, 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 not, my initial, it's not my idea, actually. Come, you know, the, original brain, the original idea came from um, Stephen Covey's book, seven habits of successful business people which is start with the end well, one of his habits is start
1: with the end in mind that that's all it is Mm. it's um it's like that you you must have come across that um you know on project management trainings where they do the how to use a Gantt chart. Well, let's look at making a cup of tea. <laughs> You've got to boil the kettle and then you get a yeah. cup of
0: tea. <laughs> Your target is, yeah. I'm, going have, I'm going to have a cup of tea, right? What needs to be there? We need to put water in the kettle. We need to find a tea bag. But then we've
1: got a mug. Yeah, it's it's simple. Yeah. I, I'm, and they are the kind of things that, I, I mean, I don't know whether they do them in schools now, but will be so useful in schools of just like, think about it like this, you know, break everything yeah. down into steps and also, this is most of what you're actually going to be doing in workplaces of like taking a process, breaking it apart or building it up and making it work essentially. Right, so let's try and finish up on something. Is there anything that you want to touch on?
0: I think we've covered an, enorm- <laughs> we've covered an enormous amount of stuff. I think the, uh-huh. only thing, the only thing for me to say is if anybody wants to get in contact with me, you can find me on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm usually on LinkedIn most days. Or go to my website, which is philfraser.co.uk. Yeah. Don't go to don't go to philfraser.com because that's a medieval reenactment costume company. So if you see a um, a guy wearing sort of Robin Hood stuff with a a, a longbow, that ain't me. That's you're on the wrong <laughs> website. You want to go to philfraser.co.uk, and if you do, sign up for my newsletter, and yeah. you'll you'll uh, receive lots of lots of stuff like this that we've talked about. And often you'll see pictures of my chickens as well.
1: Oh, nice. Okay, so I've got a question for the end. So what's for the future? And let's take it not, you know, let's go from your last business. So 18 years from now, where do you see yourself being? Still doing this? Or do you think you'll have come up with new ideas? Or where do you see 18 it? years. 18 years from now, bloody hell.
0: Mm. <laughs> <You're> probably <laughs> sitting in an armchair, dribbling and staring out of a window. <laughs> 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 um, you yeah, know, if, you yeah, know if I could carry on doing this sort of stuff, it's I enjoy doing it, it's fun, and I'm adding value to to clients and clients' businesses.
1: So, yeah, I'd be happy to carry on doing this. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I think it's an excellent thing to get into, and I think it's an excellent use of of your talents and sort of... You know, because you could have gone back into, right, I'm going to start another business and I'm going to scale that up. But it's kind of like, well, you've done that. Yeah.
0: There is still a little bit of me that... that that says, well, hang on. We did you just get lucky? Were you were you just a one trick pony? Could you do yeah. it again? And that that yeah. that is a bit of an itch that still scratch, needs scratching, but I'm not I'm not sure whether I'll actually ever get around to it. Or I might write yeah. a
1: book as well. That's the other, that's the other itch to scratch. Write a business book. <laughs> write a business book. Thank you to Phil for being my guest and thanks to you, dear listener. I know you're there. I can see you clicking. I've now thanked everybody else involved in the show except for you. So thank you for listening. And thank you for 400 downloads. If you're listening to this show, then I assume you have some connection to Leeds, like living here or being from here. If you're that person in Leeds or from Leeds and you haven't done a record for this show yet, please send me a message now and let's record your working hours session. Just think, if you're interviewed now and then you're still alive at the end of this decade and we still have electric power, breathable air and our heads above water, then you will be able to listen back to your interview and be all nostalgic about how different everything is now. Please remember to like, share and subscribe to this show. Please consider becoming a champion for this project and this show on Patreon. It's only a quid a month for Loina, so go to patreon.com forward slash workinghourspod to sign up and offer regular support. If you become a champion, you'll be helping me to get to the stage of publishing two episodes a week. At that point, as a Loiner Champion, you'll be getting 8 early release episodes of working hours each month for just a quid, and you would have helped the show to get there. If you like the idea of this show, then why wouldn't you sign up and help it out? I will get to a thousand of these, but that doesn't depend on me, it depends on you. If you can and do help me, then I will hit that goal. If you like share and provide financial contributions, I can improve my ability to reach those thousand Loiners. And of course, Renny Loyner listening to this, the biggest help is if you actually come on this podcast. It's not scary, it's not stressful, and your voice will sound so much better with intro and outro music bracketing it. You can also appear anonymously, if that helps. I'm really interested to hear from anyone in Leeds or from Leeds in whatever industry, sector or role you are in. What is your experience? How do you feel about work? What do you like and not like? What do you do, Leeds. Email this podcast now, workinghourspod at western-studios.com with your short bio and suggestions of your availability. Or just send me feedback, questions, comments, queries, whatever. You can follow this show on Twitter at workinghours3 and on Instagram at workinghourspodleads. Next time on Working Hours, two more episodes are dropping. Different Leads time, same Leads channel. Working Hours is presented, edited and recorded by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org.